0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I got other people make friends and am are trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you, so call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Chip Kramer. Last night... Last time I told you not to overthink the run in the COVID stocks. Sometimes the market rallies and it makes perfect sense. But then there are days like today. When I can't take how stupidly bullish this market can be. The Dow gaining 164 points, S&P advancing 0.36%, NASDAQ climbing 0.35%. Now you often hear people complain that the whole thing is being manipulated. Do you ever look at my Twitter file? It's like the manipulation company. Uh, it, and why is it being manipulated? Well, it's a, it's a desperate Federal Reserve. It's a, it's a scared J-PAL. Uh, it's President Trump wanting to win the election. No, no. Fed's just doing his job. And if the White House really wanted to juice the stock market going to the election, well, don't you think they already want to cut a deal with the Democrats next round of stimulus? See, there's a much more simple explanation for a lot of what happened underneath it today. I call it clueless buying. I always say you should never underestimate the Wall Street promotion machine, but there's a corollary to that. Never underestimate the power of enthusiastic buyers who do not know what they're doing. Buy, buy, buy! They know nothing! They know nothing! They know nothing! Some people accuse me of taking the Jimmy Chill thing too far. They say I'm not willing to call people out for being morons, Uh, that I'm more likely to put retiring Clorox CEO Ben Odor on the wall of fame than I am to put Ford's departing CEO... sorry, Jim Hackett on the wall of shame. They think I've become some sort of Dalai Lama disciple, four agreements guy, maybe a Wall Street conscientious objector. Thirteen years ago yesterday, I screamed that the Fed knew nothing. They know nothing! As we were headed into the Great Recession. What happened to that, Kramer? Well, I don't know what to tell you. The Fed was totally clueless in 2007, but in 2020, they've been ahead of the curve every step of the way. Jay Powell, he may not be an epidemiologist, he often plays one at the meetings where other Fed governors want to engage in wishful thinking about how we're almost out of the COVID woods. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at least he knows. He knew ahead of time. Got to hand it to him. As opposed to the other guys last time, 2007. How about our elected leaders? Look, it's absolutely insane that Congress hasn't passed another stimulus package, that they let the expanded jobless benefits lapse, that there appears to be no strategy or no plan. But that's politics in America. And at a certain point, yelling about this stuff is like, Bash, your head against the wall. No, thank you. I like my head. So today I'm reserving my wrath for the know-nothing buyers who seem to have taken a permanent intellectual summer vacation. I can't influence the Fed, and I can. not I, I, I don't have a lot of heft in Congress. I know you think I do. But maybe, just maybe, I can berate some ignorant traders into managing their money more responsibly. And that's tonight's object lesson. So I want to start. Sorrento Therapeutics. You might have seen, might have seen them on Closing book? Syrenzo Therapeutics is a company I've championed repeatedly since June, when the stock was trading at $4, and management told us how they were working on both a treatment for COVID and a prophylactic, which I had thought was something else before I started getting involved with this COVID thing. I recommended it again several weeks ago when the stock was 8 bucks, and the company told us they were making a ton of progress. I told you Sorrento had many shots on goal. You might have thought I was talking about some city in Italy where uh, Enrico Caruso used to hang out. No, I said many shots on goal. That it was exactly the kind of COVID drug stock that you should be speculating on. Well, I'd been skeptical myself, though. I called Meg Terrell, our terrific biotech expert, to be sure I wasn't off track. Then I listened to Dr. Henry G., the chairman and CEO, who told a terrific story. Sure enough, last Wednesday, now not tomorrow, because that wouldn't be last, that'd be tomorrow. Last Wednesday. Sorrento announced it's licensing a rapid on-site COVID detection test using the saliva from Columbia University, good school, that gives you a result in 30 minutes or less. Their test doesn't need to be shipped to a reference lab, which is, by the way, Mr. President, is the big bottleneck in the country. And you're letting them get away with it. And it also, it's has to be very accurate. Sorrento's marketing it under the name COVID Trace. And you can potentially take the test at home one day. The whole thing's in a single tube. Oh, and no swab up your nose. You know, when they jam it up your nose, you may not realize. First, they tell you it's going to be 10 seconds, but it's really 12. And it's really one of those one Mississippi, two Mississippi jobs. Ah. Anyway, when I saw the news, I told my wife about it. Lisa is her name. And we're finally going to get out of this mess because Sorrento figured it out. And then she told me she always wanted to go to Sorrento. But that was apropos of absolutely nothing. No, I said, I'm talking about Sorrento Therapeutics. But the stock, at eight, and Sininho, of course, what she says, she goes, we couldn't go to Sorrento anyway. We're not allowed to go to Italy. But she didn't get it. See, Sorrento was at $8 and change. It did nothing on the, on the release. Nothing. No reaction. So either the market was being very stupid or something, well, let's say someone knew something. Maybe Sorrento was being too promotional. Moderna-like. Maybe there was a problem we didn't know about. Turns out the market was just stupid. Because today, on the exact same news, nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. On the exact same news from last Wednesday, Sorrento rallied 31% to just under 13 The stock market's supposed to be efficient, but somehow it took Wall Street six days to process this news. If anyone ever says to you that the market's pricing information correctly and instantly, you are now, fi- you are now free to call those people Mountbanks and Knaves especially if the professors at colleges. Or how about this? On July 23rd, we learned that Intel, yeah, Intel, was having problems manufacturing their new 7 nanometer transistor, which is supposed to be the holy grail for everyone involved in tech hardware. The server, the server kings, anyone who follows the industry uh, was shocked that this once great chip micro was actually struggling. Even as Advanced Micro Devices, the perennial underdog, is ready to go th- with its 7 7 nanometer thanks to its partnership with Taiwan semiconductor. Intel's pain is AMD's game. They could take a massive amount of market share. I thought this story was huge, and I pushed AMD aggressively on you. I mean, just hard as I could. Argument that the quarter would also be good. In a matter of days, the stock falls from 59 to 77. So far, so good. But today, today, Jeffries, a research firm, puts out a note. It's titled Advanced Micro Devices Expect Share Gains to Accelerate. End quote. Now, there's nothing new in this piece, nothing that I haven't told you. They're simply reiterating what was said back on July 23rd. I didn't think it was even worth mentioning on Squawk on the Street. Wrong. AMD rallied 9.5 percent today on that non-news. The same darn info I gave you when I checked around. All I heard was that the stock was being re-rated. Wall Street speak for, boy, were we wrong about this hundred billion dollar business. Let's go buy some. Now, I love AMD. You know that. Oh, come on. I wear all my sleeves. Uh, But uh, you could have easily gotten into this one in the mid-60s on the same news a week and a half ago. Frankly, I've been recommending this stock since it was trading at $5, when CEO Lisa Sue schooled me about how her company had a roadmap that would allow them to beat Intel. And it sure did. Finally, maybe the dumbest action of the year is this run in BP today. Yeah, the old British Petroleum. Think Macondo. Back in February, BP raised its dividend by 2.4%. Raised, okay, you hear me? February, raised. Making the case that the world of oil was getting better and better and they wanted to return money to shareholders because things were so rosy. So what happened when they boosted that dividend? The stock immediately flew up almost 5% pre-pandemic. Today, the company announces a record loss, pronounces its prospects incredibly grim, offers to pivot to lower carbon. It's an oil company. And cuts the dividend in half. Not only are they telling you business is terrible, uh, BP is trying to distance itself from crude while preserving cash, but maybe that dividend hike was a mistake. All right, so how much was that stock down? I mean, wow, what a, what a parade of horrors. Are you kidding me? VP stock rallied 7.5%. That's a bigger gain than when they got, they got in February when they told you business was great and they raised the dividend. Stupid is as stupid does. And I also didn't know. It turns out the big buyer today was someone by the name of Navin Johnson. The bottom line, sometimes the stock market roars and makes perfect sense. But there's also plenty of stupidity, especially during earnings season when there's so much news that it's hard to keep track of what's going on. So the next time you see something totally crazy, it might not, well, it's not going to be the Fed. It might not be the President. It may just be standard garden variety idiocy. Ron in Alabama. Ron.
1: Hey, Jim. How are you doing? This is Ron from Alabama.
0: Well, Ron, how second, are you today?
1: I'm awesome. Okay. Um, I'm a second-time second caller, so you're going to get a double roll tie booyah.
0: Oh, man. Well, I was going to do Sweet Home Alabama, but I like yours. But then all the other people, all the other schools in Alabama get mad at me, so I'll let you be the guy. What's going on?
1: <laughs> okay, so I turned 59 and a half this year, and I rolled my 401K to Schwab so I can get more choices. Okay. So, so right now I'm all in cash, but previously really? I had 40%. Yeah, they made me liquidate. Previously I had 40% in a fund called TRLGX, which is essentially – the FANG stocks.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, so my, a lot of people put those together and get, get a fee for it. It's terrific business for them, not <laughs> so for you. So go ahead. Yeah.
1: So I'm uh, thinking in terms like you think about cherry-picking the best out of that. But my question is, given the run-up, should I put my 40% in the FANG all at once,
0: no, no, you've got to stage that because we are going to eventually get a down day. Now, I know my friend, buddy, pal Dave Portnoy has said that stocks only go up and he's been completely vindicated and he's right. But I, there may be a day when they do go down. And when that, that happens, that's when you have to buy. You can't just come in and. And do this. It is rather amazing that that Mr. Portnoy got involved in May and we've had almost no down day since then in the Nasdaq. But you have to wait for a down day fang or else I think you're going to get picked off. And the next day it'll go down and you'll say, why didn't Kramer tell me to wait? Let's go to Alex in Georgia. Alex. Booyah, Jim from Atlanta, Georgia. All right. What's going on? Hey, I hope the outbreak there is uh, getting under control there, you know.
1: Yeah, it's doing all right. Okay, Under yeah. Armour and Nike have both reported losses for the last two quarters. Now, I bought Nike after their first quarter report. Who do you like and what should I do?
0: Nike, Nike, and then Nike. Nike. I, Nike is charmed. Yeah, but I was listening to Ralph Lauren today, I said, yeah, it isn't that bad, but they crushed it. Uh, I thought PVH, not that bad, but they crushed it. VF Corp, I thought not that bad, but they crushed it. Uh, but not Nike. Nike holds up. And when things start getting better, holy cow, I need to go to Rick in New Hampshire. Rick.
1: Hello, Professor Kramer. Long time, first time. My oh, thank gosh, you. Even, thank you for so the tenure, a- too. Turn- Good. My stock that I reported earnings uh, recently and did better than expected. In fact, two quarters in a row, and that's eBay. Do you like the
2: turnaround story?
0: You know, I'm surprised that eBay's not doing better, though. I mean, look, it's doing well. And my friend Ben Stoto, who works with me and is uh a... my left brain uh, is saying listen this is really the one we should be focused on and I haven't focused on it enough because I'm so busy saying that I like Etsy and I like Shopify and I like Square and I like PayPal and I just keep saying those over and over again because they're right but well, let me add Sorrento and now Novavax which apparently everybody likes sometimes the market makes sense other times it's idiocy meets lunacy tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing I'm money tonight can business triumph over these challenging times? I'll give you my take. Then, time to brace for an electric slide. Tesla might be soaring, but I'll tell you what it could be time to pump the brakes on in the space. But first, let's take a bite out of B&G Foods. I'm eyeing a company, which is actually Green Giant, to see how the pandemic is impacting profits. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: As bad as this pandemic's been for the country and the world, it's given a whole cadre of packaged food companies a new lease on life. Take B&G Foods. You know them as cream of wheat, Ortega, a uh, polliner, Vermont made, B&M beans, B&G pickles, or most importantly, green giant frozen vegetables. From mid-2016 through this past March, this stock was untouchable, tumbling from the low 50s all the way down to 10 and change. Uh, for the past five months, though, this stock has been unstoppable. Stocks rallied a quick five bucks since we last checked in with them in early June, climbing to 29 and changes of today. Now, I was a little worried when B&G reported last Thursday because, well, the stock was coming in hot. But they gave you their second blowout in a row with 38% sales growth translating into a 10 cent earnings beat off of a 61 cent basis. They're still not providing explicit forward guidance. It is pretty hard to forecast out there, but they did tell us they continue to see sales and earnings materially exceeding their pre-pandemic full year forecast from February. Even after this incredible run, the stock sells for just 15 times next year's earnings, bountiful 6.4% yield. So could it have even more upside, or do we need to worry about what happens when we get COVID contained? Let's take a closer look with Ken Romanzi. He's the president and CEO of B&G Foods. Find out more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Romanzi, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Hello, Jim. Thanks so much for having me back. Great to be here.
0: Oh, terrific, Ken. Now, I've got to tell you, the thing that I found was most encouraging is while people are worried about what happens when COVID goes away or if goes away, the number of new households that are trying your food, I think that's a staggering metric that we should all be focused on, correct? Correct.
2: Yes. Well, new households and also their indication in terms of coming back for more in terms of repeat purchase is terrific. But in fact, you know, new households are the lifeblood of any business. But our our existing households and we're we're over 80 percent of U.S. households with at least one B&G brand. They're making the majority of our of our sales growth. And then the new households are kind of icing on the top of the cake. So uh, it just it just translated to an outstanding quarter.
0: Now, uh, one of the things that I am really very excited about your company is, is that while it's it's acquired and traded and gotten rid of and added what you're doing right now to expand the aisle for Green Giant. I want you to tell people, because it's all the exciting stuff that I know, not just millennials, but people my generation like.
2: Well, yes, Green Giant is really a great story. Um, When B&G purchased Green Giant in 2016, and it had been in decline for many years. And literally, the company reawakened the giant through innovation, really bringing uh, innovation, the first uh, in a long time to the category, things like rice vegetables, um, uh, spiralized vegetables, um, products made uh, from vegetables that go after other carbohydrate-type products like potatoes. Now we're going into pasta, pizza and pizza crust. We're going into the dry rice aisle. So we're, we're we're driving a lot of great carbohydrate replacement alternatives with products that are made from vegetables. So now instead of just launching new products in the frozen vegetable set, we're now expanding throughout the frozen and now the dry grocery aisle, um, you know, vegetables, you know, we've always been told as a kid, eat your fruits and vegetables. And um, while green giant um, has its core mainstay kind of mainstream bit vegetables, the innovation that um, the company has developed and launched since the fall of 2016 is staggering. The, the products have cumulatively sold over a half a billion dollars of retail since the first new products were launched, and they continue to drive terrific growth for us.
0: I was also thrilled that, you, that, Ken, you did something that I've always hoped this company would do, which is that you have dashes, which we all I use dashes because I was told when I was a little boy that salt kills you. Um, and, you finally, and you put it on Green Giant, which makes all the sense of the world.
2: Yes, this fall, it's probably one of our first ever uh, combining two products. So uh, we're going to be selling Green Giant with Mrs. Dash already used as a seasoning in the product. product. So, you know, convenience is very important. Healthy eating is very important. So that's a great combination of two really great, good for you brands.
0: So before I do the piece, I go into my pantry and I'm thinking, well, I don't know. I mean, what is the stuff they bought? And there's Clabber Girl. I mean, I guess it's in everybody's pantry,
2: huh? Well, Clabber Girl is a terrific acquisition we made in 2019. Um, it, it, it has over a 90 share of the baking powder market. We also have a little bit of share of baking soda and cornstarch when our retail customers want a one-stop shop solution. It was a terrific acquisition. The company was very well run, and folding it into our company uh, really at full stride uh, allowed us to get synergies and things like distribution um, and things of that nature. Uh, but it's been a terrific acquisition. We brought some wonderful people along with us with a a terrific manufacturing facility in Terryhut, Indiana. Um, We actually had some representatives from that uh, facility uh, virtually ring the the closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange last month, a a great way to honor our employees and heroes working through this pandemic. Um, and, And it just so happens now that it was a great company before, but now people are back into baking. So you have to have baking powder to bake and We have have over a 90 share of the baking powder market, and that business is performing beyond our wildest expectations with, I think, our consumption in the second quarter was up 60 or 70 percent versus the prior year and still growing nicely.
0: Well, there is an undercurrent always about, okay. so what happens when things end? You were talking about uh, people are learning about how to cook and which is kind of a lost art because we all went out so often. That's got to be something that lasts past the pandemic.
2: Well, you know, Jim, it's it's funny. I was hoping you'd, you'd put us as part of your, your COVID-19 uh, um, portfolio. <laughs> okay. However, forget COVID-19 for a second. I haven't talked to any company. A lot of my consumer package goods peers been talking to a lot of our banking companies. And there isn't one company I've talked to or heard about that says when COVID's over, we're going back with everybody coming to the office five days a week. Right. Every single company I've talked to have said, Not sure I'm bringing everybody back because remote work is working really well. And of the people that are coming back, probably not bringing them back five days a week in order to allow people to take advantage of better work-life balance. So there could be a vaccine tomorrow, but I don't know of any company so far that I've talked to that says they're going back full bore the way they did. So I think post-COVID, people will be working more at home, which means people will be eating more breakfast at home, which means you can run down. Um, at lunchtime and throw a banana bread in the oven, baking. Um, And our categories are just perfectly positioned between vegetables, meals, including snacks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, condiments, spices and seasonings, um, baking, um, and and just perfect. And we're across the pantry. We're in every aisle, uh, dried food aisle in the store, plus the frozen aisle. We even have some brands that merchandise in the deli aisle. So we're we're in the pantry. We're in the freezer. We're ready to – to meet, continue to meet consumers' needs as they cook and eat more at home. And
0: I, look, for me, the favorite, my favorite thing, you paid down 170 million in debt. You've got your balance sheet better. Maybe we can stop worrying about that dividend. People were so worried when the stock went to 18. That was a mistake.
2: I know. I know. We keep telling them the dividend was safe. The dividend was safe. You know, um, we never talk in the boardroom about anything other than, you know, how much we're going to increase the dividend. So so we don't talk about, you know, we don't really have any plans to cut the dividend. We're committed to the dividend. As you know, Jim, you followed the company early on. That's why this this company was created. Right. Um, and we're, we're very happy to have just announced our 64th consecutive dividend. Uh, and we're very happy about paying down debt. We know it got a little bit high right. for folks, and now we're right in the middle of the range we've stated long for a long time that we like to be in. We'll always look to further reduce debt. Um, but then we want to get back on the acquisition trail. We, there, totally. there are some brands out there we would like to add add to the continued value creation of this company.
0: Well, thank you so much, Kenya. Uh, the dollars don't know what to do now, but the buyers know that you've got a fantastic set of brands and a much better balance sheet. That's Ken Romanzi, the president and CEO of B&G Foods. Man, money's back after the break. Based on the action in the market over the last few months, you think the electric vehicle business was booming right now, even though the stocks have cooled down over the past couple days. Well, it's not right. You see, there's a boom in Tesla. There's a bull market in Tesla. There's a lot of money being made in Tesla. This has been a fabulous time to own Elon Musk electric car company. With a stock that's run from the mid-300s in March to 1,487 as of today. That's a monster 324% gain. How's your index fund doing? Now, I am very glad I started recommending this one aggressively last November. Uh, and you know what? I can get rid of the almost stupid shirt that my wife used to wear before I realized that Tesla was going much higher. But beyond Tesla, beyond Tesla... I think the rest of the electric vehicle space looks like a a boom and then more like a bubble, one that's already started to burst. We keep seeing more and more of them come public, often via reverse mergers, special-purpose acquisition vehicles as the SPACs, and after some big moves higher, their stocks have started to implode, and many of you want to try to catch these falling knives. Don't! (laughs) People are hoping to find the next Tesla, the next Tesla of trucks, the next Chinese Tesla, the next Tesla of salami. I don't know whatever they're doing. In fact, some of these electric vehicle plays are a little more than a business plan, not even a full blown business, let alone a good business. The bull market in Tesla, it's real and it's spectacular. The bull market in the rest of the electric vehicle plays feels way less substantial. And once again, I'm warning you to stay away, no matter how awesome It seems. So tonight I want to go over the EV plays, the other ones, the ones that everyone's so crazy about because they're the next Teslas. especially seems because we seem to get a new one every day. They are awfully hard to keep track of. First, there's Nikola. That's that highly promotional, (laughs) to say the least, fuel cell play with an electric trucking kicker. And they come on TV a lot. And the guy's a nice guy. Even before they come public via merger with one of these SPACs, I warned you away from this one. Every few years, speculators crowd into the hydrogen fuel cell names, then the stocks implode, and the technology never seems to go anywhere. With Nikolai, I warned you that the stock would spike right out of the gate and then plummet. That's what happened. When we learned that Nikola was merging with a, with a SPAC called Vecto IQ, way back in March, the bubble hadn't started yet. and The broader stock market was still collapsing in response to the pandemic. But as we got closer to the merger in early June, Vecto IQ stock took off. It went from $13 at the end of April to nearly $29 at the end of May. At the beginning of June, I warned you that this thing would spike it the deal closed. at the time it was trading just under $34. And you had to sell it into the spike because there's no way it would last Within a few days, Nikola's stock nearly tripled to an intraday high of $94 before closing at just under $80. Oh, my God. That is one of those horrible pirouettes that all the chartists would tell you means it's the end. And this one has been, indeed, free fall downhill from here. Last month, the stock lost 55% of its value and is currently trading at just under $39. i am not hearing anything that makes me feel like that Nikola is anything other than Ricola, like the cough drop. How did I, how, how did I see this coming? OK, I figured the hype would give you one big move higher, but beyond the hype, there wasn't much there other than the people who were going to Hector me endlessly in my Twitter feed because I made that Ricola joke. Nikola's got no products. That's always, by the way, a, a suboptimal way to run a business. They're working on an electric truck for next year, but the real plan is a hydrogen fuel cell powered truck for 2023. In other words, most of the value here is in the idea, the concept. And that simply can't justify a $25 billion valuation, where Nikola was not long ago. Really, it was at $25 billion, or even a $14 billion valuation where it is right now. Ideas per share, well, it's still not a spectacular metric. As crazy as this market is, it's still not buying ideas per share. In some ways, Nikola's stock was a victim of its own success. The big rally meant that a whole lot of warrants were becoming more valuable. 24 million warrants that let their owners buy the stock at $11.50. Those warrants became exercisable a couple weeks ago, and Nicole also registered 53 million shares owned by their private investors, meaning the stock market got flooded with new supply. Thanks for nothing. Now the company just reported tonight, and the stock got hammered in after-hours trading. I don't know what people expected. They don't have any products to sell yet, so why could they have any concrete orders? You know, let me think about that for a second. I mean, orders that I thought, they have orders, but they're not at building big factories like in China and Berlin and stuff like that. Next up, there's NIO, NIO, the Chinese Tesla. This thing came public in September of 2018, and the stock spiked early last year after a rosy segment on 60 Minutes, nonetheless, before coming back to Earth when we got multiple reports of battery fires across China that led to a massive early shortfall. At its lows earlier this year, NIO was trading at two bucks. But as Tesla exploded higher over the last few weeks, NIO caught fire, too, metaphorically only. The stock surged to 16 at its highs last month. It's pulled back to 13 and changed today. It's still up dramatically. I think Goldman Sachs tells the tale perfectly here. They upgraded Neo from neutral to buy in early June when it was trading at four. They downgraded it to neutral at six, then slapped a sell on the stock after it broke out into the teens. I think they're going to be dead right I'm very skeptical of Neo. First, they've got negative gross margins, what they make after the cost of goods sold. In other words, they're a long way from profitability, unlike Tesla, which is reported four straight profitable quarters. Second, NEO's not really the Chinese Tesla. That's well, uh, the Chinese Tesla is Tesla, which has a major factory in Shanghai. And they're already selling a lot more cars than Neo. We got another Chinese electric vehicle IPO last week, Li Auto. They make a premium smart electric SUV, and they say they're the first to successfully commercialize extended range electric vehicles in China. But the company only started producing its first model in any meaningful volume last November. They sold a total of 10,400 units. Total. Stock came public at 1150 here in America, spiked to 16 which is about where it stayed. Even if Li Auto is totally legit, something I bet Trump's chief uh, uh, trade advisor, Peter Navarro, would dispute. The problem is that the market's being glutted with electric vehicle stocks. By the end of the year, we're going to have another Chinese IPO, Xping, which is Li Auto's direct competitor. These speculative bull markets tend to run out of juice when there's too much supply because their stocks lose their scarcity value. I was skeptical of Chinese IPOs even before the trade war. Uh, But now, just Google Luckin Coffee, please. And it's not just IPOs. You've also got the Nikola uh, imitators and the Nikola imitators are everywhere. They're merging with special purpose acquisition companies. There's Tortoise acquisition. Everybody loves that one, which is buying Helion, a company that's developed powertrains for hybrid electric trucks. Tortoise spiked from 10 to 35 right after the deal was announced, although it's now pulled back to 20. Extremely speculative. Spartan Energy Acquisition is merging with an electric vehicle play called Fisker that's working on an electric SUV. Maybe it'll be a hit. But again, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. Yesterday, we heard that Diamond Peak Holdings is merging with Lordstown Motors, saw them on TV, which is a nine-month-old company that took over GM's old Chevy cruise plant in Lordstown, Ohio. They're working on an electric pickup truck. Uh, The founder, Steve Burns, previously ran an electric vehicle play, Workhorse, which owns 10% of Lordstown Motors. I wish them all the best of luck with other people's money. Hey, speaking of Workhorse, which is another wild trader that the the, you know, it's the Robin Hood crowd. This one's been public for a while, but its stock exploded higher over the past few months, surging from $2 and change to $22.90 at its highs, though it's pulled back to $17 today. They're working on a couple electric delivery vans, potentially for the post office. Again, yeah, maybe it works, but if the hope is a contract with the embattled U.S. Postal Service, I'd say that's a thin read, which in this market sometimes feels like a sequoia. There are many more of these. There are too many to mention, and a lot of them are too small to mention. But I felt like I, this is what everybody wants to talk about. So I said, okay, let me just sum them up and give them to you, and let me give you the bottom line. And this is the most important point. Why would you speculate in a Chinese electric vehicle play or a hydrogen fuel play or any other play, a super speculative American one with no sales, when you can just own Tesla? Especially now that Tesla's pulling back from its highs. I think it's time to stop overthinking the story and go with best of breed. Remember, it's a tech company. Why go with seven birds in the bush when you got one in a hand? Let's go to Mike in my home state of New Jersey. Mike Mike Mike.
2: Jim, Mike from Jersey Shore. Long-time oh my, listener. let's put some
0: masks on down there for heaven's sake.
2: Longtime listener. Thank you for all you do for investors like Mike. You're welcome. My question is on Ford. I purchased the stock a month or two ago prior to the company releasing news on the Broncos re-release following the share price. I thought the share price offered some value. I've listened to you as you speak of companies with bad balance sheets and understand that Ford falls within that category at present. This morning, they announced a change at the top, and I was looking to get your opinion on Ford going forward.
0: All right. I have to tell you. That I, uh, the previous CEO, I I I found it mystifying his background. I really found him mystifying, frankly. But this guy, uh, this guy Farley. He may be the real deal. I like the fact they bought a million bucks worth of stock, he and his wife. I like the fact that I can talk to Bronco with him. My wife wants the Bronco. I wanted the F-150. We bought the F-350, which you never call 350 because that's called the Super Duty. But this Bronco is has got the eye. You know, my wife wants to get rid of the 94 Defender, which, by the way, is the Range Rover, and get a Bronco. So I think Farley's got game. I think Ford's okay for a trade. But it is so many of the younger people own the Ford and a Robin Hood, so you got some kind of just okay investors in it. So... Don't expect an overnight success. Dave in California. Dave. Oh, Dane. 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 Taylor Dane. 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 What's going on? Uh, Hey, man, uh, quick question. How come you don't throw the chair anymore in the lightning round? Because I hurt my back. I got a uh, L3, Uh, L4 problem. Sorry to be so granular. Two epidurals. Thank heaven for Dr. Feely. It's a shout out to Dr. Feely. (laughs) Yeah, I hurt my back. It was really bad. It was like really stupid to do that because my back was killing me. I couldn't figure out what was killing it. I said, well, stop throwing the chair to back up better, but I still needed the epidurals. So what's up? Hey, um, quick question. So I'm calling today about a stock. um, Has Amazon and Walmart invested in believing yesterday the company struck a deal with a UK supermarket chain, ASDA, and earnings are going to be reported on the 6th? Is Plug a former penny stock, recent guest on Mad Money? Now a legitimate force ready to turn the power on in the race to green energy. Uh, I actually, after having Plug on and those last two acquisitions that I liked, started seeing the bull case. I can understand the bull case because of the ASTA deal that you just referred to. But that said, as between Plug and Tesla, Tesla. Stop overthinking the electric vehicle, please, please. You got this guy, Elon Musk, he's really smart. He's created a tech company. The tech company's name is Tesla. Now there's much more mad money ahead, including my take on the state of business right now. Then I'm talking Clorox, COVID, and indecision on the packaged food stocks and all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This is triumph over the pandemic? Maybe in the abstract, but certainly not all businesses. Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks, came on Squawk Box this morning with a plea for the government to help small businesses, which are rapidly becoming an endangered species. <laughs> Schultz is dead right. (gasps) Without some sort of bailout from Washington, hard cash for all, eviction moratorium until the end of the year, expanded unemployment benefits, I feel we can say goodbye to preponderance of small businesses simply don't have the cash to get through to the other side of the pandemic. Social distancing is the kiss of death for independent brick-and-mortar retailers. To say nothing of restaurants, as I know all too well, there's just not enough room for customers to spend in the places. The cost of serving them hasn't come down. If I'm going to have to get in line to to go into a store and get my temperature taken, I don't know, Amazon. Don't get me wrong. We need social distancing to contain COVID, but we also need a government that's willing to deal with the inevitable consequences of these policies. If you can only have half as many customers, even as your costs stay the same, well, you're probably going to go out of business. It's pretty much arithmetic. We need the government to offer business interruption insurance because the government closed your business down. The thing is... As I said over and over again, we don't trade the stocks of small businesses. People keep thinking we do, but we don't. They have no representation in this market, not even in the small-cap Russell 2000 Index. At most, we have some companies that are adjacencies that have small businesses as clients, Etsy, Facebook, Shopify, Wix, Square, PayPal. All those have been on fire, though, because they represent a digital lifeline for struggling business owners. They help you take your uh, brick-and-mortar outfit online. And that may be the only way to survive here because it's probably broken without it. At the end of the day, though, small business losses, big businesses gain. And that's what we keep seeing in the market day after day, including this one. What propels the stocks of big businesses? Well, it starts with the macro, the big picture economic data. Today, the macro gave us the prison that we use to examine earnings. The first clue, another attempt by oil to crack into the low 40s. When the price of food stalls or goes lower, we tend to revert to the Kramer COVID-19 100 hot list because oil is seen as a proxy for the broader economy. That makes sense. Today, the oil ran up 55 cents to 41.50. That is a welcome sign of some real demand. That's the ceiling. If it can punch us through, we're going to get more of these days. Then we get some remarkably positive new orders for manufacturing goods, both durable and non-durable. They didn't look like recession numbers. Factory orders up 6.2% in June, better than expected. New orders for non-defense capital goods, excluding aircraft, increased by 3.4%, not recession numbers. The street loved these because they suggest that maybe we've hit bottom in terms of manufacturing. I know only 12% of the economy but it's nice. Of course, in terms of the pandemic, we were in much better shape for most of June than we are now. Still, the the numbers were great. And that unleashed the bull hounds, if you can imagine such an animal, not so much toward the industrials as to the consumption stocks. When the economy has a pulse, it makes a lot of things come alive. It gives you a chance to accentuate the positive, too, which is exactly what happened after the close when one of the key bellwethers of this market, the Walt Disney Company, reported what looked to be a just horrendous number. I mean, when I saw it, I said, oh, I got it. But I also said, you got to listen to the conference call because the Quickdraw McGraw guys got it wrong. Initially, the stock dropped three bucks on the release. The results were grim, even as the earnings came in better than expected, excluding one-time items. The Disney Plus numbers initially did look terrible. But the help of the rosy of the day, people took heart that we'll be offering Mulan to their tens of millions of streaming subscribers. But here, get this catch. They're charging people $29.99 to watch. This is also launching an international direct-to-consumer general entertainment offering under the Star brand next year. they will be hosting another streaming-focused Investor Day. Boy, that got people going last time. did reports this time that they had 100 million streaming subscribers across all platforms. Much better than expected. That more than blotted out the 85% drop in theme park revenue. Although, to be fair... Who really thought it would be better than that? After the COVID surge in Florida and California, they didn't have a 90% drop. You're going to get some strange numbers going forward. Disney's ESPN has never had basketball in the summer months, and that will help with ads. Let's just say it's not as bad as we thought, although the idea that the stock would climb six points on this smacks as much of a short squeeze as a celebration. Believe me, if the macro were weak, this stock would have sunk like a stone. But when you see better airline numbers like we had this morning, according to the TSA, traffic up 43 percent month over month in July, you get the possibility of a saliva test that Sorrento talked about. You begin to have visions of a post-social distancing economy and long theme park lines again. And that's how the stock at Disney ended up so strong. That said, home entertainment is still the star of the show. We didn't get to see Take-Two's interactive strauss Zelnik tonight. That was technical difficulties. He had a big storm here in the East. But the NBA 2K, Red Dead Redemption, and Grand Theft Auto franchises were on fire, and that gave you an almost 10-point game. The macro also helped the bank stocks, which are beginning to report that bad loans have increased. It's very subtle. It's in smaller print, but it's something that should, it should have made you worry about the viability of their dividends. But people ignored it today. The banks are the biggest intersection between struggling small business and thriving stock market. Even as many reported okay numbers, Uh, I I think the loan loss provisions they put aside this past quarter simply aren't big enough for the Fed or the Treasury to make peace with, particularly without some sort of compromise from Washington. I envision loan loss numbers so big that you'll want to sell the bank stocks in any strength here, particularly strengths from a stimulus bill and perhaps a good employment number on Friday. Oh, and who can resist buying some hotel and cruise stock ships when the numbers look good, right? Carnival, Norwegian, uh, Hilton, they all filled out some of the largest percentage gainers. So what can happen now? When you combine the macro with the prospect of a stimulus deal in Congress you're going to see a big run in the retail stocks that are about to report. Remember, their competitors, the struggling small businesses, simply haven't been able to bounce back. So they got less competition, unessential. More of them fall by the wayside each day, and that is terrific for our old faves like Home Depot, Costco, which reports monthly numbers tomorrow night, Lowe's, Walmart, Target, and of course, Amazon, up nicely today, not to mention Dollar Tree, Dollar General, Burlington stores, and even L Brands, although the latter is more of a self-help story. Sure, there were some Kramer COVID-19 index winners. But with oil up and factory orders up, the market searched for something with a pulse away from that. The bottom line, the fact that Disney barely had a pulse and yet had its stock uh, that could fly after hours tells you the bulls are still in charge especially if Congress is really making progress on the next round of stimulus, as Secretary Mnuchin seemed to hint after the close. It's amazing, I know. But the other part of the market, the non-COVID part, ended up playing catch-up today. And I think even as August is supposed to be a very tough month, that move may not be over. Stick with great. It is time! It's time! For the the It's time! And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Skeet Daddy, time for the light rail. Let's go to Sammy, in Louisiana. Sammy! Booyah, Jim. Booyah. And Jim, you've got a real good staff there at your show. I'm sorry? You've got a great oh, staff. Oh, my staff is fantastic. You kidding? We got Dylan there. He's amazing. What's up? And, and You're great, too. I'll take it. And also, I just want to let you know that today, when a robocall called me, I insulted it when I said... You can throw the margin out the window to see the butterfly for all I care. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't wait to tell you that. How about a stop, too, about while we're Kellogg? at it? Sammy, how about a stop? Where are you from? Are you from uh, Lake well, Charles you're, 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 or Lafayette? You're, 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 yeah. Anyway, uh, what's your thought about Kellogg? I like Kellogg. I think it's okay. Not my favorite food stock. There are others that I like even more. Uh, but it's not bad. It's not as bad as it used to be. Let's go to Ryan in Oregon. Ryan! Hey, booyah, Dr. Kramer. Thank you very much. Hey, I'm calling about a company focused on the development of cloud-based platforms for work management. What are your thoughts on Smartsheet? No, no. If you're going to do cloud-based work for me, you're just going to either do ServiceNow or actually much more my fave, which is indeed Salesforce.com. Mark Benioff. Bill in Pennsylvania. Bill. Hey, Jimmy. Chill. I'm nervous over rival Tesla's uh, ride-hailing service. What's your outlook on Uber? I think Uber's okay. I mean, look, Uber has to get rid of anything that is not making money. I mean, period, point blank, just get rid of it. And I think they have the capability of doing that, but if they don't, well, it's just not going to work. And don't forget, the pandemic doesn't help, although I do like their tie-up with Clorox. How about Daniel in Massachusetts? Daniel. Hello, Jim. Dan, how are you doing today? I am doing fine. Thank you for asking. How about you? Good thing. Thanks. thanks for taking my call. I appreciate that. Listen, I called you about a month ago and I asked your advice about Pinterest, and it worked out very well for Well, me. there you go. So I took that advice. It worked out very well. I like those guys. I like Ben. Yeah. It will talk go really good. Now, how about our Dropbox? Ah, want... uh, that's a tougher one because you know, Mrs. Softy really doesn't like them. Uh, I've been trying to get, look. The stock is almost at its high, uh, but I'm a seller, not a buyer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The
1: Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. <laughs>
0: How long can the consumer packaged goods companies keep putting up such spectacular numbers? The problem is no one knows. Not even the CEOs, not the analysts, certainly not the investors. Yesterday, Clorox posted 24% organic growth. That's staggering. And nobody can figure out how much of that is sustainable versus how much is driven by the pandemic. So the stock falls $5 yesterday and then rallies $5 today. More of that bathroom behavior I referenced at the top of the show. It gets more confusing. Unlike the rest of the developed world, we don't have the virus contained. No other rich country has this kind of outbreak, not in Europe, not in Asia. Right now, we're more comparable to Mexico or Brazil. On, on the one hand, that could benefit a domestically focused company like Clorox, which you need because you've got to make sure that something kills COVID. On the other hand, we've got a recession. Historically, consumers trade down to cheaper knockoff brands in recession. That hasn't happened so far, in part because we had those generous uh, jobless benefits until last week, in part because people are shopping online, and online you're more likely to go with brands you trust. That's three levels of confusion. I think it's worth taking a closer look at each of them through the lens of Clorox, given that we just spoke to the fantastic outgoing CEO, Ben O'Dora, last night. Yesterday, Clorox reported the biggest beat in this group by far, and that's the good news. The bad news? Dora gave us the most conservative outlook imaginable with a forecast that left a lot of room for a down year. No wonder this industry is so difficult to fathom. Corx is very well run, but at the end of the day, they sell cleaning products and trash bags. So the analysts were circumspect. They, they can't afford to recommend a stock with management flagging and decelerating numbers. They didn't bother to go underneath and ask which categories, bleach, wipes, Hidden Valley dressing, glad Sentiva trash bags, love those, probiotics, birch bees, might have gone from pandemic necessities to actual secular hygiene and stay-at-home necessities. So they were all kind of half-hearted today. Like I told you last night, I think Clorox was extremely conservative because Ben Adore is stepping down as CEO and he wants to make life easier for successor Linda Rendell if we happen to get a vaccine sooner than expected. But if you're like me and you think the pandemic's far from over, Clorox could be the best non-tech stock out there. What well, makes me so confident? Because Beno could have easily suspended guidance and let the analysts run wild with their imagination. But they're uh, with the, those conservative numbers. They're forced to take down their estimates. Meanwhile, we're headed into cold and flu season where a wiping off of a sneezed-on snot surface will be more important, I think, than ever. I don't know if you agree with me, but if you don't, you're out of your mind. Plus, I think they'll sell uh, plenty of Kingsfords and cleaning products at Hidden Valley Ranch. People are stuck at home, and you want to barbecue outside. Here's what really matters, though. If you think we'll get a vaccine or a treatment sooner than expected, then you sell the stock of Clorox. If you think it will take longer... You buy the stock of Clorox. My gut tells me it is more upside. Although after today's move, you might want to wait for the next pullback before you pull the trigger. Stick with quick. Look, I see a lot of stuff that's going up. I retail mean, retail's starting to get head up, and I know that the COVID, uh, Kramer COVID Index headed up. And the group that I'm most worried about is the banks. And I know that it's tough to sell something that's low and something that has high dividends, but they just kind of feel like the real estate investment trust not that long ago before everything gave up the goods. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow.